Welcome to the Brandon New Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Lyon, and I'm dedicated to helping individuals elevate their personal brand, proactively shape their reputation, and attract the life and career they dream of. I interview leading creative professionals, communication experts, and social media gurus in a bid to uncover practical and cutting-edge personal branding strategies for you to apply. All sessions are recorded in front of a real audience asking real questions. If you want to learn more, please feel free to visit my website, carlylion.com, and discover other ways we can work together. For now, let's start the class. Well, welcome back to the Brandon New Podcast. Now, I'm going to set this record straight, straight from the get-go of this interview and make it very clear that the reason I started this podcast series was so that I would have the opportunity and privilege to speak to incredible individuals like my next guest. And obviously, of course, to share their work with all of you, dear listeners. You know, I have said it before, I have do selfishly look for who I want to speak to. And Dory Clark has been at the top of my list from the get-go. So what I'd like to do is give you a bit of a formal intro to Dory in case you haven't come across her work yet, and then explain how I came across Dory's work. So Dory Clark has been named three times as one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was recognized as the number one communication coach in the world by Marshall Goldsmith, the leading global coaches awards. Clark, a consultant and keynote speaker, teaches executive education at Columbia Business School, and she's the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Long Game, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. A former presidential campaign spokeswoman, Clark has been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. A frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, she consults and speaks for clients including Google, Microsoft, and the World Bank. Now, obviously, you can tell I'm a little bit nervous, but really, it's more excitement. So, how I came across Dory's work to begin with was right at the beginning of my personal branding journey around five years ago, I read the Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And funnily enough, one of the sections has the title of How to Become a Top Expert in Four Weeks. And in the article, he suggests that to become an expert in anything, uh, some of the steps include finding the top three books in that particular area and then going and doing a talk on that. So, I was looking, obviously, I was coming to the table with my 15 years being a former international personal publicist. So I I knew and understood the world of personal branding, but I wanted to see who was out in the world talking about these particular topics of personal brand and reputation. And I immediately came across uh, Dory's work. I quickly devoured her three books at the time, and there's a fourth now, uh, being Reinventing You, Stand Out, and Entrepreneurial You, and was her biggest fan ever since. So, Dory, Thank you so much for making the time to be here with me today. Carly, thank you so much. That's really kind. And I'm so glad to get to connect with you. Oh, thank you so much. I, When I was starting to put together the questions for the talk, I felt like I was at 
the most amazing big hotel breakfast buffet, but I only had a small plate and I could only choose so many things to, to fit on that plate. So it was really hard to narrow it down. But I think the, I suppose the place that I'd like to start today, we're going to be talking about your recent book, The Long Game, which is how to be a long-term thinker in a short-term world, which we will get to. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the future and, and thinking ahead. But I thought the best place for us to start so that everyone gets a sense of where you've come from is to ask you the question of, if you could travel back in time to 2001, what do you think your former self would say and would they be shocked by who you are and what you've achieved today? So 2001 is an an interesting time to choose and kind of an inflection point because at the time what I was doing uh, was that I was a newspaper reporter, uh, print journalist, and I ended up toward the end of that year getting laid off from my job, which I had not had that long. I had, I had only been doing it for about a year. It was my first job out of graduate school. So it was uh, super depressing to be laid off mm. from your first job. It was also additionally depressing because I was laid off on Monday, September 10th, 2001, uh, which of course was the day prior to September 11th, 2001. Uh, so my first day of job hunting uh, was somewhat disrupted, we could say. Uh, yeah. The world had much bigger problems to deal with than me not having a job. Um, but nonetheless, it was a problem because I worked for a uh, cheap skate organization that only gave me four days of severance pay. Uh, so I had to work uh, really quickly to try to figure out how to how to make money. So I would say in, in some senses, I would be surprised where I am. I never thought about entrepreneurship as mm -hmm. a real career option for myself. But that moment of losing my job was definitely a wake up call that, um, the things that I thought were stable or steady could be upended in an instant. And so it made me really keenly aware that for all of us, whether you're self-employed or, or, you know, or maybe you don't want to be, maybe you want to work inside of a corporation, that's okay. But it is always important to have a plan B. It is always important to have done the work investing in yourself and personal branding, I think is one of the very best ways to do this such that you have the ability to fall back on something. You have the ability to fall back on your reputation, fall back on your network mm -hmm. so that you're never uh, out in the cold kind of the way that I was uh, when I lost my first job. Mm. Your journey is anything but linear, right? You know, when I when I read of your background and and all of your experiences, so you went from pursuing a career in academia to to journalism, to politics, to running a not-for-profit and then launching your own business, which you you said you never thought you'd end up in entrepreneurship if you traveled back to 2001. Throughout that entire journey, when was the moment that you started to, if ever, potentially think of yourself as a brand and really start to consider your personal brand and, and how you were putting yourself out there? I think I became aware of myself as a brand once I launched my business because yeah. 
you know, I mean, these days there's much more of a broad based cultural conversation where I think your average person probably at least is familiar with the idea of, yes, you're putting yourself out there now that, you know, there's such a thing as social media, Mm -hmm. you know, people are at least thinking about their image, you know, maybe they're curating it to a greater or sometimes far lesser extent, but there's kind of that awareness. But for me, it was, it was launching my business and having just this very acute awareness that, um, I was, you know, you, 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 uh, you eat what you kill and uh, yeah, to use yeah. a, 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 a bloody, uh, metaphor. Um, you're only going to be mm. able to get work if people know who you are and mm. if you are able to successfully persuade them that yes, you can add value. Yes, you can, you can help them. And yes, they will, they will make more money or save more money as a result of working with you than it will cost you to, you know, to pay you. And, mm. uh, and so as a result, I, I had to become instantly very keenly aware of what I was putting out into the world and, uh, and be thoughtful about, okay, is it, is it the right thing? Am I in alignment with the message that I am hoping to have? So in the beginning, when you first launched your business, you started to, started to think about your own brand as an individual and what you wanted to say. Were you clear from the get go in terms of what your thought leadership was or was that something that evolved over time? Is it something that's still evolving? I mean, it was a super, super iterative process. And uh, one of the things that I try to advise people, you know, people I work with, whether in my masterminds or my recognized expert community or, or what have you, I just see all the time that people beat themselves up so much because they don't, they don't have a clear sense of like, you know, well, who is my target audience or what is my value proposition or what is my my elevator pitch? And they're just raking themselves over the coals because they they don't know or they can't do it or they feel like they, you know, they've changed it 17 times in the past three months mm. and it's not quite right. And I understand that frustration because you want to have it set. You want to you know, you want to be able to just like move on from there and and get on with your life and get on with your business. But um, it's it's not always an easy thing. And sometimes you have to kind of work your way into it. And it was certainly that way for me. I would say it took me years of iterating and kind of fumbling around. And ultimately, for me, the sort of salvation in terms of clarity around my message came from the act of content creation, because Uh I was able to create articles and create ideas and as a result, see what interested the marketplace. And it was, it was not that I had an idea of what I wanted to do. And then, you know, I put out a bunch of content about it. It was that I put out a bunch of content and from it, I was able to extrapolate what the market wanted from me and it helped me gain clarity. And I, I think sometimes we get that equation backwards and it, it stresses people out a lot. But what I'm interested in, Carly, I, you know, I was reading your bio and you were talking about you know, I, I hear this a lot too of like this, you know, cobbler's children situation where you, you had been so assiduously cultivating PR for other yeah. people. And then at a certain point, it's like, oh no, <laughs> what about <laughs> yeah. me? So yeah. like, what, what was, what was it like for you in your, in your early days? Like, how did you, how did you go about making that transition from a behind the scenes person mm. to having to do a little bit more uh, front facing stuff? Well, it, it was actually, very similar to your journey in the sense of 
it was an, on a needs basis. So I yeah. was had gone on extended maternity leave and I was sitting there. I wanted to to get back into the you know, the world of work, I knew I couldn't do what I had been doing previously because it was so international. And now I had two babies in tow. Uh, And I was sitting there twiggling my thumbs thinking, why isn't everyone reaching out to me asking me, you know, do I want to do this? Do I want to do, you know, wasn't I good enough? Uh, And so that was, well, I just realized if I, if I wanted people to see me or to offer me those opportunities, I had to put myself out there. And it was scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So but what I, were the ways that you put yourself out there like in the earliest days? What did that look like? The first thing was I posted on a business women's network and I just had no plan at all. So it comes back to what you were saying. It's like you putting it out to the market, letting the market help you define what it is. I basically just said, hi, this is who I am. This is what I've done. These are the people I've represented. uh, And I want to help women in business. That was the only thing I knew I wanted to do. And I think it was coming from my own want uh, to be helped in many ways. You know, I wanted clarity for my own journey. So I was like, well, what can I do to help others? And that post kind of went crazy. I got lots of people responding and reaching out to me. And Dory, what was interesting was I'd been in PR for so long, but I wasn't using the word personal brand. That wasn't actually part of my vernacular at that point, which is kind of weird. Uh, and I had all these women reaching out saying, I want help with my personal brand. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's super cool. Which leads me to my next question, because in 2011, you wrote an article for the Harvard business review titled reinventing your personal brand and it went viral. So was that a moment, you know, as you were talking about, you were putting stuff out to the market, seeing what was going to catch on and that caught on, obviously, because it went viral. How much of an impact did that have on your journey? That was definitely a a big impact Mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that I had been trying for quite a while before then to, you know, to get traction um, first you know, trying to get a book deal, trying to write for high profile publications, you know, not often not to much success. And so I had lots of examples of things that didn't work. And so I, 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 I feel like what actually was helpful in some ways, uh, in terms of like the iterative process of understanding, um, when, when a good thing happens to you is if you have the knowledge and sort of the background of like the million things that didn't work, mm. the, you know, that, that sucks. Like you kind of, you know, you want it to like work quickly, but it's also true that it's by having the knowledge of, of like what it feels like to be pushing a boulder up a hill mm-hmm. that when you finally land on something where it just takes off, you're like, Oh, this is what it feels like when people actually want something. <laughs> this is different. Yeah. I should probably do something with this. And I so, love it. It's like the the act the act of all that failure is like you know it's not that failure is edifying, but fa- failure is clarifying mm-hmm. in the sense that it just enables you to see like oh all right, that's, that's what it looks like. I'm going to grab that. So that is how reinventing you, which was sort of stemmed from that first uh, article uh, became my first book. And, and, and I love 
I love, love, loved the book, by the way. So I want to ask you this question because, you know, obviously the title of that article was Reinventing Your Personal Brand. Uh, The book then became Reinventing You. And I was listening to the interview you did with Debbie Millman uh, for Design Matters. And and she basically said, you know, I've got a bone to pick with you. I don't like, basically she was saying, I don't like the term personal brand. I don't like the idea that a person should pursue becoming a brand. Uh, and, you know, as someone out in the world talking about personal branding today and have been doing that for the last five years, I get a lot of pushback as well. And there seems to be this sense of when you talk about personal brand, that's somehow promoting inauthenticity or showmanship or, you know, it's not actually about the person. So I really wanted to ask you that because I did notice in a lot of your earlier articles, you do use the term personal brand, but then that kind of falls away. So, you know, where are you at with the word? Was that intentional? I'd really love to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not in any way rejecting the, uh, the, the term personal brand. Uh, I mostly, I, I, the articles that I write are typically keyed to my books. And so since that was my first book, I wrote about it a lot back in the day. And now I have different topics that are Mm. sort of aligned to the more recent books. But no, I mean, I think honestly, when it comes to the term personal brand, which you're right, it does engender a lot of backlash in some ways. It's, it's honestly just semantics. I mean, some people, some people, you know, okay, they don't like the term, right? They don't like what it evokes. But I, I think that if you actually pin almost anybody down, they wouldn't, you know, they would not disagree with the central premise, which is, okay, people think something about you. It is probably in your interest both to know what they think about you and hopefully if they're not thinking the right thing, maybe you take action so that they do think the right thing, you know, meaning, you know, the, to, to be seen by others the way you would like to be seen in the world. I think most people would probably get on board with that. Yeah. And that that is just personal brand. You know, it's a it's a term of art. I think that sometimes people get caught up in the idea of like, oh, if if we're branding, it must be a brand like, you know, a Procter and Gamble brand mm-hmm. that uh, you know, that has, you know, some advertising budget or, you know, a brand like an Instagram influencer that, you know, keeps stopping in the middle of traffic to take pictures of their pectoral muscles. You know, like <laughs> it's just yeah some elaborate vision that they have. But, you know, ultimately yeah. the brand is just like, what do people think about when they think about you? All right, let's yeah. let's try to align it where we can. And I, I think I think we all agree on that. Yeah, 100%. Because I don't know if you're familiar with this word, and it's funny when I talk to international uh, audiences, but in Australia we have a word called wanker. Have you heard of that word? Um. <laughs> A, 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 a wanker is like a guy who's a dick, right? Is that is that the idea? <laughs> well, sort of, but somehow it's become synonymous with per- the idea of, you know, if you build a personal brand, it's like you're seen as a bit of a wanker, someone who's like a bit like, you know, you're a bit of a tosser, you're whatever. I've heard that word more in the last five years than ever before. But what I totally agree with everything you said. And what I love about your work is 
it is so pragmatic. It's so practical. It's so like there's no rah-rah to it. It's just, and obviously that's inspired by, I'm sure, your academic background and, and your communication style. It's so refreshing. Um, but yeah, anyone who would come across your work and read the way that you put it out there, yeah, it would be hard to argue with the value of it. And which well, I also love. I love that you've got a course or a masterclass or a series of courses called how to become a recognized expert. It just, it's so clean and no one would argue with that. You could definitely not be called a wanker for that if you join. <laughs> so everyone join Dory's uh, community with that. Well, thank you. I, as I mentioned to you right at the beginning, I devoured all of your books and you know, loved every single one. And it was really interesting because I did read them in sequential order and I felt like they met me exactly where I was in my personal branding journey. And it's funny because I would now recommend clients or anyone who's starting their personal branding journey or starting that path of becoming a recognized expert to actually read them in sequence. So you've got reinventing you, which to me is like the the beginning of the journey where you're thinking about who you are and what you stand for. You've got stand out, which is about, okay, now you know who you are and what you stand for. How do you create that idea uh, and that thought leadership to start creating that audience? You've got entrepreneurial you, which is now that you've created that audience, how do you monetize that audience? And then of course, you've got the long game, which is your most recent book, which is how do you think about this whole journey from a long-term perspective. So I wanted to ask you firstly, and then I want to dive into some of the questions for the long game. You know, I've often heard authors talk about the fact that they write about where they are in their own journeys. So with your books, was it inspired by where you were at those given moments in your own branding journey? It largely it was, yes. Um, Reinventing You, I will say, was kind of accidental in the sense that I just wanted to write a book. I just, you know, it had just been a dream of mine to write a book. I wanted to do it. And I mean, if if Harvard Business Review was like, you need to write a book about horse breeding, I would have been like, great, I can do that. I I, I know people. Yeah. Um, So it just so happened that was that was the topic. That was the article. And I went for it. Um, But for the other ones. uh, So stand out, which, you know, as as you mentioned, it's basically how do you how do you become a thought leader? Uh, Entrepreneurial you is like, how how do you make money at this? Uh, How do you get clever at monetization? And then the long game is is like, all right, you know, if things are going, you know, humming along reasonably well, how do you keep from getting bogged down by the short-term minutiae of life and keep focused on your important goals so that you can actually, you know, end up where you want to be 10 or 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. And those those were all problems that I wanted to solve. And writing a book enabled me both to have an excuse to spend time researching and pondering those problems. And also, I mean, especially in the case of Entrepreneurial You, uh, to interview people and ask extremely nosy questions, uh, that they might not have otherwise answered. So it was, it was a, a very good research tool for me. I love that you actually admitted that because I am so not a fan and I, 
I know that you mentioned this. In fact, you mentioned this in the long game when you talk about networking and I'll come back to it, but you mentioned that you're not a fan or an advocate for someone to just reach out and say, Hey, can I pick your brain? Uh, and so, yeah, it makes sense that whether you're writing a book and that's the excuse to interview someone or you've got a podcast and that's the excuse, there's always that value and that fair exchange. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, the, the caveat, like I did a phone call just before us talking earlier today with a guy that's a fellow author and, and it, there was no, there was no particular agenda in any way. Mm. Like we weren't interviewing each other or whatever. It was really just a getting to know you call. But, you know, the caveat there is like, we had both heard of each other. We both had mutual friends. It was, it was a, you know, a sort of peer, getting, you know, getting to know each other, equal exchange kind of thing. The thing that I don't like about let me pick your brain is it's an unequal value exchange. It's like, you know, something I don't let me, let me extract that value. And, you know, what are you going to get out of it? I mean, you know, not too much like hearing yourself talk. Um, So I'm, you know, a fan of like, yeah, no agenda. Hey, let's make friends. That's a great reason to get together. But if you're not in a position, like if someone you know, not to get too crass, but if somebody hierarchically, let's say, yeah. uh, in terms of our status games in society is like higher up than you, or if there's just not a good vehicle, like it just, it just like doesn't make sense, you know, to yeah. reach out to them. You kind of do need an excuse and writing a book or having a podcast or, you know, whatever it is often provides, frankly, a very good excuse. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm such, I'm such a big fan of that. So. Okay. The long game. I loved this book. Again, like I said, it it really met me where I am in my own journey. And so I'm, I'm, the questions that I'm going to be asking are reasonably selfish, but I know that they'll add value to everyone who's listening as well. But to me, the long game was such a valuable reminder. Firstly, I'm an impatient person. So it was a valuable reminder that, you know, everything doesn't have to happen yesterday that, you know, this is something that you're in for the long run and planning for that is really powerful. It also was an amazing reminder to say no to things that don't resonate with your priorities and that busy is not necessarily a status symbol that you want to have where we think it makes us look important and to say, oh, I'm so busy, but that's actually not a great place to be. So first... What made you, for your own sake, write this book? So the the sort of central problem or the, the thing that inspired me was just before the pandemic. I mean, I started thinking about this book a while back. You know, it came out mm. in 2021, but 2018, 2019, I was starting to kind of ideate about what what is my next book? What am I going to be writing about? And the problem that kept coming up was I was having conversations with people, and I I sort of share a little bit about this in the opening pages of the book, where I'd meet with these people who in in some ways, like according to societal definitions, would be like the paragons of success. And you'd ask, like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And they, they would say, oh, you know, it's good. It's fine, blah, blah, blah. I just wish I had time to think. I just wish I had a moment to breathe. And it just... it. It sounded so plaintive. And these are people that in theory could be like writing their own ticket. These are like the successful people. And yet they felt obviously sort of propelled by forces that 
you know, at least in their minds, were out of their control, where they were just so rushed and kind of miserable and not able to to even do something as basic as sort of, you know, think about things, think about where they wanted to go. And so I really wanted to try to understand, like, well, what went wrong here? That's not obviously what they're aiming for. That's not what they're they're intending to do. And yet a lot of people, really smart people, keep ending up in that place again and again and again. So what the heck is happening and what could we do upstream to prevent it? And that was the question I wanted to answer. Yeah, you definitely you definitely did. And the again, one of the things that I I often talk about with personal branding is I always say personal branding is not a short-term activity. It's a long-term mindset. And it's really is important that you're you're thinking ahead, you know where you want to go, but you also give it time to get there. And I just loved how I don't know if the word realistic or how honest and open you were in talking about how long sometimes things actually take to eventuate. And I think for anyone who's pursuing the goal of becoming a recognized expert, really going into it, knowing that it's going to take time rather than thinking, oh, I'll put out a few articles and and that that should be it. That should be good enough. Um, but really putting in the time to get there. So there was two sides of, of that coin for me. In the book, one of the things that stood out as I, and I just thought, oh, this is amazing, was you talk about how to think in career waves. And you talk about a framework of learning creating, connecting, and reaping, and being aware of not getting stuck in any one of those waves. So can you explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I realized, you know, we, we sometimes look at people who should be successful, but are maybe not as successful as, as uh, we think they should be or that they're capable of. And you sort of wonder, like, well, what what's going wrong, right? I mean, obviously, for some people, like, okay, they're 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 not working hard or they're lazy or whatever. But the problem that is much more interesting to me is like, all right, what about people that are smart, they are talented, they're working hard, legitimately, and yet it's not happening. And what I often have found is that the problem is that they have become too comfortable doing mm-hmm. a particular type of thing, and. They just keep doing it. And up to a certain point, that's smart, right? Like, let's maximize our strengths. But because we are humans and not machines, we actually have to develop another skill, which is the skill of stopping the thing we're good at or stopping the thing we like and moving to something else. And this can be problematic, right? Because we might not be good at it. We might not like it as much, but you have to do it. And so, you know, you, you and I probably both know people, Carly, that like all they do is like they take a million classes or they get a million degrees and, you know, they're like not making money in their business or something. They're like, well, I'll just go get that certification. And it's like, dear God, please stop. Like no (laughs) more certifications. How about you call a freaking potential client? How about you do that? That might be a little more helpful than the 50th certification. And so where all this comes from here is like, okay, there's a learning phase. Of Mm -hmm. course, in the beginning, you got to learn all the stuff, you know, get the lay of the land, but you can't stay there. You need to start contributing at a certain point. You need to create your own articles. You need to share your own ideas. And so that's the creating phase. So people actually know what you 
have to bring. You need to connect with people so that more people understand, like, you know, who who are you? And uh, and they think of you. And then you get to the reaping phase where finally, like, it's all dialed in. You're doing well. But a lot of people get stuck here because they're like, this is great. I'll just keep doing this forever. And meanwhile, you know, their colleagues that gave them all the business retire. Uh, meanwhile, the industry changes. Nobody needs the thing they do anymore. And then you find yourself like kind of bereft at a certain point because the world has changed. And so we need to get smart enough to disrupt ourselves and be willing to go back into that learning phase uh-huh. so that we can start the cycle again and not just be resting on our laurels. Uh, so there's two things there. Firstly, the, the, the individuals that get stuck in the learning phase that, you know, oh, I want to do something else. I'll go and get my master's. Oh, I want to do something else. I've got to get an MBA, a PhD. And, and that actually really amazes me that people get stuck in that phase, but it, and it really does often come from a place of insecurity. And it also amazes me how they pursue those things, they get those things, but then they realize the insecurity is still there. It's not just yeah. about how much they know. It's it's coming from a whole bunch of other things as well. So that really resonated with me. And I, I thought that was a really important point to to put out there that at some point you have to stop. You can't just be learning, learning, learning all the time. And you used also the example of someone who's really good at writing books. And so they might get stuck in that rut of just continually writing, writing, writing. But the reality is at some point they have to stop to market those books. And even though that that's not something that they want to do, that's part of the process. Lastly, what this framework made me realize was in many ways, I had got stuck in the reaping phase because when Mm. I first got out into the market, I was creating all of these articles, going on all of these podcasts, really proactively networking. And so I was reaping all the benefits of that. But at some point that does start to slow down and it's very easy to sit there and go, oh, something must be wrong with me. But when I read this, I thought, no, there's nothing wrong. It's just that I haven't gone through that cycle again. So I, I really, really love that, that framework. It's just so easy to understand. Ah, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. And you're so right. I, I was talking with a guy just this morning who was, um, contemplating working with me and he was explaining that, you know, last year was this great year and he had so much business. And, you know, this little voice kept whispering to him, like, don't forget about marketing. And of course he (laughs) forgot about marketing. And then the contracts ended and he's like, oh no, what do I do? And it's just, you know, it's a common thing. And, 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 you know, we, we're, we're humans. Uh, this happens, but we, you know, we need to try as best we can, hopefully before we hit that moment of, uh, of actually saying, Oh, right. This, this is the moment when I can shift because if we shift at the right time, it just makes our lives so much easier than if we shift once we've realized that there's uh, a little bit of an emergency brewing. And this really applies. It's not only, it doesn't only apply to people who are out in the world working for themselves or out in the world as a consultant and an expert. This actually also, this framework very much applies to individuals who are employed as executives. I remember a lady came to me last year and she was like, Oh, you know, I'm really interested in, in 
you know, you helping me with my personal brand and and putting myself out there on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. She said, I'll come to you in a few months because I'm planning to start doing that two months before I start looking for a job. And I I said to her, well, you really realize like now is the time to start, not two months before you're out in the world looking for opportunities. And so I think that keeping this cycle in mind, even if you're comfortable in a job, is really, really important. Yeah, you raise a really important point, Carly, which is it is actually equally important if you are self-employed or if you work for a company to do all of these things. The only difference is that the people who are self-employed are usually the ones that realize it because yeah. it's just staring you in the face and you're like, my God, I, I won't eat if I don't <laughs> figure this out. But the, the problem with, with, you know, I mean, it's, it's like a happy problem until it isn't, uh, yeah. with folks who are working inside companies is that it feels very, very safe. And then, and then there's just a moment where, where it, you know, I, I hope it doesn't happen to people, but certainly I experienced with my layoff. When it goes down, it goes down fast. You know, mm-hmm. I had a job at, you know, four o'clock. And at 4.05, I did not have a job. And, you know, it, it's not like I had a side gig at that point. I went from 0% employed or sorry, 100% employed to 0% employed in the span of five minutes. And you just have to deal with that. It, there was a guy that I profiled in my first book, Reinventing You, uh, named Dan. And he worked at a big tech company. And he had been there a long time. He had been there like 10 years. And he was actually very smart because one day he woke up and he just, he sort of realized, he's like, Whoa, I have been working here so long. Literally everyone I know, like all my contacts, all my friends, like everybody is from this company. Like that, that was his network. And he was smart enough to realize in advance that was a problem because if God forbid he ever did get laid off or something like that, you know, who's he going to turn to? They're, they're laid off too, right? There's, mm. there's no one to, to do that. So he began this campaign of, you know, pretty regularly scheduling these breakfast meetings, these networking meetings. And he would meet with people who worked at other companies. He'd work with, you know, he'd, he'd meet up with like startup founders and angel investors and whatever. And before long, you know, within a year or two, he actually had become a real hub in the tech community because he was very concertedly making an effort to broaden his network. And he started actually doing things that really helped him outperform at work. Like, you know, he was meeting really interesting startup founders. And so he could go to his company and be like, they're doing really good stuff. We should actually think about acquiring these people. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, oh, that's a great idea, Dan. Um, but it all stemmed from his sort of horrified realization Mm -hmm. that he had gotten too fat and happy with his network and it had ossified without him really realizing it. And he took action to prevent that. That leads me to the perfect segue to my, the next question I have here, because as a introvert, and which is probably the reason why you, you pointed out I hadn't put myself out there is I'm very open about the fact that I am introverted and will often choose a book over human company. Um, so as an introvert, I always thought networking was a bit irksome, you know, a bit like, Oh, I, I didn't like the idea. And it, the, the word itself made me think of, you know, a business card pushing agenda, whatever. I just didn't like it. But when I read your definition of 
in and have, have I got it right? Infinite Horizon Networking is that right? Yeah, Infinite Horizon yeah. Networking. I was like, I love this kind of networking. This is the kind of networking that everyone should be doing. Life would be so much better in all areas if we approached networking in this way. So, firstly, I want to have you explain what Infinite Horizon Networking is and then how that led you to the red carpet of the Grammys because I love that story so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, basically, the way I define Infinite Horizon Networking is it is networking that is on the surface really irrelevant (laughs) to you and your (laughs) professional life. Because, you know, we even good networkers, even people that we would mostly consider to be good networkers, what they typically do, you know, they're long-term networkers. They're like, okay, Carly, you and I, you know, you seem cool. We work kind of in similar fields. Like, you know, I don't like need a thing from you right now, but we should get to know each other. Eh, maybe we'll do something someday. Like, that's great. You know, I mean, no one's offended by that networking. That's nice. That's good networking. Yeah. But it's also practical networking because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, you know, we're kind of in similar worlds. We might run into each other. Maybe we can do a deal. Um, Infinite horizon networking is the stuff that even good networkers typically miss because it seems irrelevant. It's like, oh, you're an astronaut. Oh, <laughs> you're a, you know, you're a fireman. Oh, you're a, you know, a neonatologist, you know, whatever it is. And I, you know, I don't do that. I don't need that. Um, and so they, they kind of zone out, but those are the ones that actually can be the most transformative because, Mm. you know, I think we all understand intuitively when you are exposed to people who are in radically different positions from you, they know different things, they know different people, they have different experiences. They're the ones, you know, sometimes admittedly, it doesn't go anywhere. Like they might be a fun person, but it's not like, you know, you're, you're doing something with them. But in other cases, it can be completely transformative. You know, you meet someone from Bulgaria and a year later, you're like, my God, I need to move to Bulgaria. And all of a sudden you have somebody that, you know, can be your person to hook you up with a realtor and, you know, get you a job in Bulgaria. Like you're set because of this one random person. Or, you know, maybe it's like the thing that comes through. You meet somebody who, you know, who's a, you know, a horse breeder and all of a sudden your best client, you know, who you, you're just, they've given you so much business, you're desperate to do something great for them, but you don't know what. And it turns out that their daughter loves horses. And wow, you could get the your friend, the horse breeder to give them a free tour. Like, amazing. Uh, and it's it's those things that can actually be super interesting and transformative mm-hmm. and make your your life more interesting and your life better. I love it. And I love it. And I love the story that you share about you getting to the Grammys because of Infinite Horizon Networking. So can you explain how you got there? Yeah. So I was lucky enough a few years ago to be able to attend the Grammys and, uh, you know, literally, you know, walk on the red carpet, be part of it. And I actually was lucky enough 
to be part of the team that won a uh, a Grammy for uh, for a, a jazz album. There were actually a couple of Grammys that uh, that the project won. I was an assistant producer, and the way that all this transpired was there was a guy that I got to know who was a um, you know I got to know him actually through fairly conventional means. He was a a kind of business author and came to these group breakfasts that uh, that I was part of, but. He was a bit of a renaissance person. He was a jazz musician himself. He was a jazz lover and he produced a large number of records. And as part of that, um, basically because I did a favor for him, he invited me to be part of this project. And I, you know, I am not a jazz musician, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, I got to be part of something that I wouldn't otherwise, uh, because, uh, because I had done something nice for, for somebody and he did something nice for me. Uh, so it really created a kind of once in a lifetime opportunity. I love it. And that's what it's also about, right? It's about those experiences. It, it only makes you a richer person in, in so many different ways. And I, I do get the value of practical networking. I think that's, you know, part of the journey of shaping a network for a particular purpose. And sometimes there is a very practical reason why you're reaching out to a person. But what I love about the mindset of infinite horizon networking is just, first of all, you're going to more likely show up to every interaction with a service mentality of how do I give to this? How, you know, and, and just remain open, not shut yourself off from that interaction. You also, in the book, you shared the story of the lady who's Laura Gasner, who ended yeah, up Laura on Gassner Good Morning America. She ended up on Good Morning America. She wasn't a, a famous author or she hadn't, you know, done huge things at that point, but she ended up on Good Morning America with her book. Do you want to share that story? Because I actually really thought that that story was also a great example of how this infinite horizon networking works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love this story too, because it it's it really shows that, if you're just, you know, a thoughtful person, a thoughtful mm. friend, uh, you know, kind of magical things can happen. So, um, basically there's a, a woman named Laura Gassner Odding. She's a, a friend and a colleague and an author. And she was invited by, uh, by another, uh, friend, Mitch Joel to come to this event. And it was, you know, a little inconvenient or whatever, but, but she, she came to the event and Mitch wanted to try to make an introduction for her, uh, to this guy who was a conference organizer. So he did. And the conference organizer agreed to let her be a speaker. And it was a series of, of different talks and, you know, they didn't even, they didn't even pay her, but they, they bought books. And so, you know, as an author, it was worth it. And because she was nice, she was pleasant to deal with, you know, whatever she had expressed. Um, one of the other speakers, you know, the sort of celebrity speakers was yeah. Robin Roberts, who is a famous kind of newscaster person in the U.S. who is a host of Good Morning America. And Laura was like, oh, wow, I love Robin Roberts. I would love to meet her. But unfortunately, just the way that the scheduling worked, um, she was not able to do it because she had to sign books while Robin was speaking. And so the guy who was running things, you know, kind of took pity on her because, you know, <laughs> she, she had worked hard and she, you know, she'd done all this stuff. So he says, okay, okay, you sign a book for her and like make it really good. 
and I will, I will do my part. I will make sure that Robin gets it. And so he, Laura did, she wrote this kind of heartfelt message and the guy did what he said he was going to do. He gave it to Robin Roberts and on the plane ride back to New York, Robin Roberts tweeted a picture of herself reading Laura's book and was like, I love this so much. And of course, you know, Laura like freaks out and, uh, and they managed to get in touch and they followed up and Robin said, yeah, come on the show. Um, but it really was just sort of a series of good turns that made that happen. So good. And that all also came about because she was in a Facebook group where she met that organizer to begin with. So it all, I was thinking about this just the other day because we just came out of the studio. We were in the studio for four days. We shot the entire executive team of a big company. And I was reflecting on how that actually came about. And I mapped it all the way back. It started because I went on a podcast interview, met the husband of the guy who owned the company. We shot the MD, the MD, you know, and it's just this, this web of connections that forms over time, which I think comes back to the, the idea of the long game and creating that web of connections and, and allowing that to actually turn into something over a longer period of time rather than expecting things to happen straight away. So I really, yeah, I really love that story. Oh, that's awesome. Thank yeah. You. So Dory, I could keep on going. I've got four books in front of me. There would be hundreds of questions that would come out of each of those books, but obviously you've got a life that you need to go back to. You've got Philip, uh, the your cat who is a uh, famous on your Instagram. So I'm sure he's waiting for your attention. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me. It feels like a real full circle moment from that moment five years ago when I started reading all of your books to being here now and talking to you. I feel like that's been part of my long game. So thank you for allowing that to happen uh, in my own journey. I know that everyone listening will be as excited to follow your work. So where is the best place for them to follow you? Well, thank you so much, Carly. I really appreciate the chance to speak with you. Uh, if folks want to learn more about my work, uh, my website is kind of the, the big repository. It's doryclark.com. Mm-hmm. I have more than 800 articles uh, on there that I've written for various uh, publications over the years. Okay. And for folks who are especially interested in my latest book, The Long Game, uh, if you go to doryclark.com slash the long game, uh, <laughs> you can download a free long game strategic thinking self-assessment and learn more about the book. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Dory. And I'm looking forward to the next book and the book after that and the book after that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks, Carly. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share what you learned and help others find the podcast by leaving a review. If you would like to attend the next virtual class in real time, be sure to sign up to the invite list via carlylion.com or the link in the show notes below. I look forward to having you at the next class.